This is a word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. From bling to woke to trade, black language has been lovingly lifted or outright stolen by the wider, whiter American culture for decades. And often the meanings get so mangled that the people who originated the language don't even recognize it. But now a new book aims to write the record and have some fun. Being able to have anybody be able to write and post on social media has changed the way that we consume language. Historically Black Phrases coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Black language is American language. In pop culture, especially the words and phrases from our homes, our churches, and our entertainers have been pulled into the national conversation, where their meanings are often changed or widely misunderstood. And social media has accelerated the process, taking black vernacular from your group chat to Twitter to national headlines in record time. Now there's a new book covering the universe of contemporary black slang titled Historically Black Phrases from I Ain't One of Your Little Friends to Who All Gonna Be There? The book discusses a whole range of language. A lot of it is playful, and some of it, including the N-word, might offend you. So be prepared. The writers are Travel Anderson, an acclaimed journalist and podcaster. Their previous book is We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. And Jared Hill, an award-winning reporter who teaches at the University of Southern California School of Journalism. They both co-host the podcast Fan Tie, and they join us now. Travel Anderson and Jared Hill, welcome to A Word. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jason. I'm excited to finally be here. Travel, in one interview, you said it was important to be clear who this book is for and who this book is not for. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's not something most people are brave enough to say when they put a book together. So uh, elaborate on what you meant by that. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm glad I'm given the opportunity to expand on that because, you know, I want to be clear. We want this book to be successful. And that means that we need everybody and their mama to pick up this book. OK, available wherever you get wonderful books and the bad books, too. But I say that in us doing this book, we wanted to be clear about who it is for, because when you're talking about Black language, there are so many times that we all know that we end up finding ourselves trying to capitulate to whiteness, capitulate to white people's understandings, wanting to make them feel comfortable about how we talk. And the reality is, for this book, we're not necessarily concerned with white people at all. Like, one of the things that we kept trying to, you know, for ourselves in, in deciding which phrases actually ended in the book versus which ones weren't was, like, is this a phrase that, like, Black people specifically are going to resonate with? Is this a definition that Black people specifically will resonate with? Which is not to say that white people or non-Black people can't read the book, can't 
you know, enjoy the book, especially because we know the ways that blackness and black culture drives culture at large. But this is a text that was not interested in thinking too much about the white gaze, right? And so I think we say in the introduction that like, this is for black people. We want you to read this book and go down memory lane and kiki and laugh about these different phrases that are here. And for the non-black people, for the white people who invariably will find themselves flipping through these pages, just know that you are on notice and that what you do with these words, with these phrases, that we're not responsible for the response that you might get from the Black people in your life if you choose to start using these phrases in your everyday. And I would also add, since the book has come out, I've had a couple of interesting like text conversations already. One from an Oscar-winning director who's been like, now you know why people gonna be using this in the writers' rooms. And I was like, they've been using everything else. They might as well add it to the stack. Right. I mean, they've used every other thing that we've done. And then I had a conversation with a friend that I grew up with who's a white woman who asked me, like, I don't know how to ask this question. But and I was like, uh oh. Right. And she was like, but I'm, I'm curious, what do you want white folks to take away from this book? And I said to her, I appreciate that question. What I would want you to take away from this book is like an appreciation that black language is a thing, having a respect for black language and understanding that it comes from a place. It is worthy of study. It is reputable. And it is also something to have respect for that is not yours. That is something that you can appreciate is something that has a, a rich history and an, a real impact in culture, but also like is not necessarily for you. So it's it's been interesting having these conversations about white folks' engagement uh, with the book. So, Jared, what was your process for editing? Because I'm going through this book, half the stuff I'm like, oh my God, I say this, I say this, but there are thousands of other phrases that I'm sure you guys could have put in. What has been interesting to me with this process has been kind of figuring out what we use and what we don't use. And I had about 200 or so phrases already when I added Travel to like come into the conversation. And we had probably 300 and something phrases, but we started narrowing it down by things that were like, this one does not require explanation, right? This feels self-explanatory. We also, I remember like... <laughs> I, I woke up one morning and like I heard the words jive turkey in my head. Right. And like I should say throughout the entire process of writing this book, I've had panic moments of, oh, my God, what if we forgot this one? Right. And like we're trying to have conversation about the words and phrases that we're using right now. Right. We're not looking to go back to 1865. We're not looking to like be a historical text. We're looking at like the ways that black folks have been using it in this era right now. And so that's how we were thinking about the words that we would be using. A lot of black phrases, they may have origins in certain geographic parts of the country, but they get nationalized because of an Eddie Murphy routine. They get nationalized because Whoopi Goldberg said that in a movie or something else like that, right? Trayvell, this is actually interesting because this was the thing I was gonna ask after looking through it. You're from South Carolina. Jared's from the Bay Area. Did you call people from Texas? Did you call other people in the Dirty South? How did you make sure you had regional diversity? One of the beauties about Jared and I's just like lived experiences is like even though we are from where we are from, we both have like traveled a lot. We've been in a variety of different communities. I think one of the things, right, Jared, that we realized is that Black folks on the West Coast versus Black folks in the South versus Black folks in the Midwest and the Northeast, 
There are some things that join us all together. All of our Black mother has asked us if we have McDonald's money before, but there are also other phrases that are specific and unique to a particular, you know, regionality of Blackness that we also wanted represented in the book as well. One of the things we we wanted to be sure to do was like, like we have in the book, John. That's a specific Philly slang that has now had kind of a mainstreaming effect with the Creed movies, you know, have talked about John in a particular way. Quest Love, all of uh, Quest Love's productions on the, the credits when they flash on screen, it's always a Quest Love John. And so we wanted to make sure we did that, but it really came in in terms of like the conversations that we were having with the folks that we interviewed. So we interviewed about maybe 10 folks throughout the book, different types of Black folks from various generations, from various backgrounds, various, you know, sexualities and gender identities and and careers. And we talked to all of them about what was it like hearing certain words, certain language things when you came up in, you know, the New York drag scene. We spoke to Bob the Drag Queen. What was it like for Danielle Pinnock, whose folks are from the Caribbean and the islands? What was it like to hear various words in that community versus when you went to school and had to code switch and speak a very different way? And so we use that to kind of inform our approach so that every type of Black person we hope will be able to open this book and see something that speaks directly to their unique experience while also realizing the ways that like linguistically so much about how we are and who we are as Black people is very much connected. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on the new book, Historically Black Phrases. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the new book, Historically Black Phrases, with co-authors Jarrett Hill and Travell Anderson. Travell, there are words and phrases that some of us don't recognize are Black until we're out in mixed company, and Black folk are the only ones who understand what we're talking about. Can you give us some examples of that? Because sometimes that's regional, and sometimes that's experiential. The one that came to mind most immediately is Yamama. And I specifically want to tease out what I mean by that is Black folks, when we hear your mama, that is a very specific thing. Like when somebody says your mama, you ready to fight. But, you know, if you're in mixed company and someone is making fun of your mama, they invoke your mom in a particular way. Non-Black people might not take it as the nuclear option that it often is in our particular spaces. That's what comes to mind in just of these ways that we as Black folks, we put different meaning on things. You know, we use it quite differently so that you might be in mixed company and say something, but it hits very different. I also think of specifically in Black queer communities, a word like fish or a word like trade means something very specific to Black LGBTQ folks. But in mixed company, the folks might not even know what you're actually trying to say because fish You might just be thinking we talking about some tilapia or something like that. When in reality, in community, we're talking about something very different. Jared, expand upon that because I'm hearing trade and fish and I'm thinking I know what they mean within communities and within cultures and subcultures. So what would be an example of that? What would be an example of a phrase where it's like, okay, this means something 
in particular in the black LGBTQ community, but it doesn't mean anything to white people in the LGBTQ or, or Latin people in the LGBT. What would be examples of that? Well, I think one of the the great examples is actually something that has become more mainstream. So like the week of the book launch, we are the dictionary.com word of the day on Tuesday and Friday. And the nerd in me thinks that's the coolest thing that's ever happened. And so uh, on the Tuesday, the word was tea. Right. And so we do this video describing what tea means. And like for a long time, people did not have a sense of what tea meant. And like within queer community, it would be something that we would use to be able to convey message to each other. But then like it's become something that has become more and more popular through media. Um, and Travel has a book called We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film that really rightly identifies the ways in which unscripted television has really been the way that we've gotten to see conversation and life and the lived experiences of marginalized groups. And in Travel's book, they're talking about the way that we see that in trans communities. But we can expand that out to see the way that it happens in trans and, and queer communities and black communities more, you know, more specifically as well. And so the way that we think about the word T and like we also have the word receipt, right, as, as dictionary.com word of the day, the way that those kind of things go out into culture because of the things that we see on TV, because of the memes that we share, the, because of the videos that we love are engaging also social media or the TV shows or things that we're listening to, all of those things start to then influence in culture and then other people start picking it up to where T is literally the dictionary.com word of the day now, right? I also think about words where like black folks get it, where other folks wouldn't. I cannot think of a single instance where a non-black person has used the word little in a way that black people can to belittle something, right? I had a friend who was like, oh, I got your little book. And like, I knew they were doing a thing. And like, it was funny yeah. and we enjoyed it. The word little can be so rude and disrespectful without even really trying. Oh, I see your little car. Oh, is this your little boyfriend? I like your little house. Okay, your little earrings. Oh, is this your little... Pu like, you know what I mean? Like, you can put little in front of anything and it becomes rude and disrespectful. But like, I don't expect to hear that from a white woman. It just, it wouldn't hit the same. I want to play the sound. We actually have the clip of the video that you two did for Dictionary.com. We're going to play that now, and then we're going to get your comments on the other side. T is the Dictionary.com word of the day. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We're the co-authors of Historically Black Phrases, from I ain't one of your little friends to who all gonna be there. T is a foundational piece of Black queer language that originated in Black drag culture. It describes potentially unknown or little known information that can be obvious or take a bit of discerning. Dictionary.com describes the term as slang for confidential or interesting information, such as gossip. How you doing? What? You can't even contain yourself. J Jesus, my Lord, today. My Lord, your Lord, our Lord. Hallelujah. So, Trevel, I love word etymology. So you say that tea comes from drag culture, but like, why, right? Like, what was the thing? Was it because people sat around and discussed things while drinking tea? What's the origin origin of this origin story? So for a word like tea, for a word like shade, for reading, these are specific terms that came out of Black queer communities. Um, and they're terms and phrases that were created so that Black queer people could have conversation with each other without having, you know, the John Q. public know that they were, quote unquote, family, as we would say in our community as well, right? So a lot of these phrases really grew out of a need to 
create some secret private way of communicating while also still being in in what we would call mixed company and so like tea like Jarrett was saying is a word that if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race or any other major production these days you'll know what tea means you'll know what reading means you'll know what shade means but back in the day when these phrases were first used and created it was a means of like building community in a broader society in which being LGBTQ in in this example wasn't you know the most acceptable right it was very taboo often illegal type of thing and so when we talk about black drag culture specifically we can trace so much of our general language that we would often ascribe to black people specifically we can ascribe it specifically to black LGBTQ people that's your tease that's your reading that's your shade that's your you know beat or snatched or you know all of these phrases that we hear folks use today they grew out of a community's need to kind of build in our own community build in our own solidarity build in our own safe spaces both kind of in a physical sense but also in a linguistic sense as well you know jared do you feel after writing a book like this that you have greater responsibility for like linguistic gatekeeping do you feel a greater obligation now it's like you know what now that i've put this book together i need to check folks what what are your thoughts jared I struggle with that because part of me feels like we wrote this damn book. So like, go read it, right? You know what I mean? And like, go appreciate it. And, but I also think like, we've seen so many instances of people like having these conversations more and more in public. And like, we can talk about this from the queer and trans lens. We also have uh, an essay that talks about the influence of black church and the ways that black church has influenced black folks and the ways that that has influenced greater culture. We have conversations around words that have been reclaimed. We use the comparisons of the word bitch for women, the word nigga for black people and the word queer for queer and trans communities and how that language was reclaimed. And like one of the things that I loved in that essay was the conversation about the reclamation of language coming from marginalized communities and that requiring activism. It doesn't just naturally change. Like people have to take the word. Dr. Charles H. Jeff Davis from the University of Michigan talks about that in our book. And so like when I think about the ways that we influence culture and, you know, help to shape it, I also have to think about the ways that like once it's kind of out into the the world like and the culture has taken it. it we don't really have control over it anymore but we wanted to make sure that we could document what it was at this moment for history when you ask about gatekeeping I think about that from the ways that we do that across culture as well we've been talking on our show about how I find black folks often we have like this attachment to what blackness is and like oh that's black oh that's not black oh that's black oh that's black oh but that's definitely not black and like if you eat your grits one way with, with sugar versus salt the girls are gonna drag you and like it feels the same way as someone telling me that I don't talk like I'm black because I talk like I'm white because I, I speak in a certain kind of way. It feels the same way as someone telling me I don't dress like I'm black. And like we really see the ways that we can limit blackness and put like clamps on what blackness can be. And because we are everything, we are everywhere. We hear in queer and trans communities, we hear this often like this idea that we are everywhere, right? We, we did not just pop up. We didn't just show up. We're not a blip on the radar. We are everywhere. We've been everywhere and we've been throughout time. Black people are in the past and we are in the future. And so I, I think about it through that lens of being like, I want us to stop limiting what blackness can be. We can celebrate what blackness is and the ways that it shows up without having to like limit what it can be. We're going to take a short break. We come back more about the new book, Historically Black Phrases with writers Travel Anderson and Jared Hill. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with writers Travel Anderson and Jared Hill about their new book, Historically Black Phrases. Travel, I think of, and this is in a specific political realm, right? I think of the terrible way in which, say, the term woke has been just captured by the white right in this country. And I was never really saying woke to begin with. But now I'm careful to not even use it ironically because I don't want to play into the the word virus that they've put out there. Has there been an instance where you were seeing something on TV or saw something in a movie and you're, you're pissed because you're like, wait a minute. No, that is not how this word is supposed to be used. Have you had that instance? And how did that sort of play into laying out some of the words that you have in the book? Yeah, I mean, I think woke is a perfect example of that. Every time I hear it, I roll my eyes because its current meaning is not what it meant when we were initially using it as a community. But I also think to go back to, you know, the black queer and trans conversation, I also think of a word like trade. You know, every season of RuPaul's Drag Race, the girls are going back and forth about who's the trade of the season, using the language wrongly. And that is an example of the ways in which when certain phrases leave our mouths and they begin to be put into other people's mouths, right? That the meanings and the definitions associated with it and the connotations associated with it do not necessarily always reflect the truth. One of the things I often say, particularly in this conversation around gatekeeping, is that I'm not in the business of like policing how people can speak. Um, and in this case, non-Black people, how non-Black people can speak and, and use the language. But I do give a disclaimer with which is we are not responsible for how your community responds to you using our language, right? You can use it however you want to, of course, but every action has an equal and opposite reaction, okay? And so if you get a reaction because you have used a word that you don't understand well or a word that you just shouldn't be using because it doesn't come from your culture or your community, it doesn't, you know, fit or factor into how you would normally communicate, if you get a particular type of reaction to that that you don't like, that is your own personal responsibility that you have to shoulder in this conversation. And I think when it comes to this book and having it out in the world, that is really where I come down on it. It's like, we want Black people to feel empowered. We want Black people to feel like the ways that we naturally communicate, that it is important, that it is educated, that it is professional, that it is appropriate in every which way that it can be. And for the people who are not Black, who are, you know, consuming this information, you do with it what you want to, but know that there are consequences and repercussions, honey, if you find yourself in a space using language that you shouldn't really be using. And, and just for clarity's sake, for the audience who has not gotten the book yet, what is trade? So trade... <laughs> 
<laughs> trade is is a term that's used in community to describe a certain type of man in particular who is likely a lot more masculine. You likely don't know that they're LGBTQ just by looking at them. And the kind of, you mentioned like etymology and all that stuff earlier. The word trade comes from this idea that the type of person you might be describing in this context is someone who would work a trade job. And so you can use that to kind of help yourself figure out what a a, a phenotypic representation of trade might look like. So that's what trade means. And then, you know, people use it in a variety of different ways that aren't correct. But that's the nature of language, right? A A community creates something and it gets into the mainstream in one way or another and it takes on a new life. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't always remember, you know, where it comes from. Jarrett, you had a breakthrough moment in 2016 when you were the first to point out on Twitter that Melania Trump's Republican National Convention speech sounded a lot like Michelle Obama's speech in 2008. Here's a clip we're going to play. You work hard for what you want in life, that your word is your bond, that you do what you say you're going to do. My parents impressed on me the values that you work hard for what you want in life, that your word is your bond and you do what you say and keep your promise. That was a major moment and you've talked a lot about it in a bunch of different interviews, but I want to hear your opinion approaching this sort of as a trained journalist, right? You're both active in the National Association of Black Journalists, NABJ. Can you think of instances in your professional career where you had to fight over the use of African-American language, where you heard an editor or an anchor and they wanted to use this phrase and you're like, "Ah, ah, ah, no, you can't use that. Or if you use that, even with the best of intentions, I'm telling you, (laughs) it's going to get you blowback that you don't want. Can you think of an instance like that that's happened with you professionally, you know, as, as a journalist? For one, I should say, whenever Black folks tell this story about the Melania Trump plagiarism story, they always use that line of like, your word is your bond. And Black people always come up to me and be like, that's how I knew she was lying. Like, I, Black people love to say that to me. And so like, you using that part of the clip was was really perfect. I know Trevell has told stories about this before of working at the Los Angeles Times where they created a beat that was really kind of at the intersection of Black queer entertainment. So Trevell, I can let you take that. You know, I think we have all seen the ways that, like, Black language in particular has been divorced from Black people. So you'll see a lot of terms and phrases that we come up with end up on a shirt at Forever 21 or end up in the journalism context in a headline, such and such throws shade at da-da-da-da-da. You know what I mean? I remember being at the LA Times and having these conversations around the N-word. I remember I did a story on this document The name of the documentary is Field Niggas and ended up having so many conversations with our copy desk, with our higher ups about whether or not we were going to not publish the name of this documentary because it had niggas in it. Another situation at the LA Times, this was around the anniversary of the uh, bus boycott in Montgomery, if I'm not mistaken. And they had interviewed someone, like former local official who used the N-word and they published that entire quote with the N-word in it. And I remember us as Black folks at the LA Times at the time, none of us were consulted about 
running this quote on the front page of the LA Times. And they had their reasons for why they did it. But I think that's another example of the ways in which like language that means a particular thing in the ways that we do it and, and how it impacts our community showing up in the pages of our national publications, many times without regard for the impact that that has on the community itself. Technology plays such a role in why people know of certain words. We're talking about newspapers. I think of, and I'm sure you both saw this, there was that article like two or three years ago in the Chicago Sun-Times where it says Jesse Jackson going home after a long stay in hospital with COVID. And all the black people were like, Jesse Jackson died? And it was like, because they used the phrase going home. And we are like... How did nobody in Chicago <laughs> in this office know if you say an older black person is going home, we think they died. And they literally had to change the article, but it had already gone viral, right? We already thought he was dead. So for both of you quickly, uh, Trevor, we'll start with you. Like, what role do you think technology plays? Because some of these words, they get out and they move so quickly that other people are using them in incorrect ways before we can even say anything. And sometimes we don't even know. Oh, this reminds me of fleek as a, as a term on fleek, right? Which is created by Peaches Monroe on social media, right? She's just talking. She comes up with it. And, you know, a few months later, you see it on a T-shirt at, you know, where, whatever store you want or you see it in a headline. It is so interesting the ways that technology specifically, in one way, it has kind of taken down some of the walls that we as various communities often put up as a means of protection and preservation for not only how we speak, but how we move through the world. Um, but it has also been a great tool to build community across space and across time. Um, and so it really ends up having this kind of double-edged impact when it comes to our language specifically, um, because there are so many words that Sally in Idaho would have never heard just because of her community. She would have never heard it, but now she knows it because she saw somebody go viral on TikTok as a result of it. And so I think it's one of those you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't type situations in terms of so many of these phrases come from us as Black folks. So many of these meanings come from us as Black folks. And they now have gone on to be John Q. Public phrases as well. I think the important part is making sure that even as our language sometimes gets mainstreamed, that we are constantly reminding people of where all of these particular things come from. What's the one thing you want everybody to get out of this book? Um, and I'll start with you, Jared, and then we'll go to Travel. One of the visions that I've had dozens of times if not hundreds of times now since like selling this as a book and like really like going after it as a book has been like someone coming over to their friend's house getting ready to go out and the book is on the table and they're leaned in the door frame flipping through the pages and being like bussing oh girl you know this is your word and like reading through the definition and being able to like have conversation about it and then flipping to another page and reading an essay on language as resistance and the ways that we use language as a movement and be able to like get something out of it and be like oh 
I didn't think about this that way before and be able to laugh and be able to walk away with something that's validating about who we are, that feels familiar, that feels like something that we can connect on, even if at work you feel like you can't use this language all the time, or even if, you know, the white lady at work had said something sideways to you and it, it because she thought she understood how to use this and you had to have a conversation about, you know what I mean? Like, no matter what the situations are, we want people to be able to like see these words and see this language and be able to enjoy it and connect with it. Yeah, I think the main thing that I want people to take away from this book, this entire experience is that, you know, how we naturally communicate as Black people is legitimate and it's valid. We should be able to speak this way in the boardroom. We should be able to speak this way on the red carpet. We should be able to speak this way in a classroom. Why? Because our linguistic contributions are actually important And they not only show up in how we move through our own particular spaces, but they also show up in how other people move through their spaces as well. We've all grown up being told in various different ways that like, you know, you can't talk like how you talk in the schoolyard in the classroom, that you can't talk like how you talk around your homies, okay, when you go to the board meeting. And my response is always, why not? You know, and hopefully in some way, shape or form, this book, seeing it in in this type of setup with this type of design, with this type of promotional capacity and all that other stuff will encourage some young black person, some old black person to be like, you know what, this is who I am. And it doesn't mean that I'm ignorant. It doesn't mean that I'm uneducated. It just means that I speak in a different way than everybody else. Trevell Anderson and Jarrett Hill are the co-authors of the new book, Historically Black Phrases, from I Ain't One of Your Little Friends to Who All Gonna Be There? Thank you both for joining me today on A Word. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jason. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is awordatslate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.